You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray before we dive into God's Word now. Father, we just bless you this evening. And Lord, we just come to you with, with, with our hands in front of us open to receive from you. Trusting, believing, knowing that your word is powerful and active and it's alive. Coming to you, trusting and believing and desiring for you to just come and be in our midst and to speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak in ways that will rattle us and shock us and wake us up out of our slumber and, and direct us down the road of true life. So God, I pray that you would do those things. And I pray, Lord, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, and that you would make them acceptable in your sight. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. A question for us this evening as we um, dive into Luke 18, verses 15 through 27 is this. What, what is the distinguishing mark of someone who is a Christian? <clears throat> Let me ask again, just to make sure that you, you hear it. What is the distinguishing mark of someone who is a Christian? I think sometimes we think that Christians are distinguished or maybe set apart from other people who are not Christians, maybe by learning, or our friends, our religious activities, our knowledge, our experiences, or, or maybe our accomplishments. And really, as good as all those things are, are. They really are not the defining factors of what it means to come to Christ and follow Him. So, so what is the distinguishing mark of someone who is a Christian? Look at Luke 18, beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him, saying... Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so as we look at this text and we, we examine this passage, 
I think we see the distinguishing mark of someone who is a Christian or someone who has entered the kingdom of God. Because according to what we just read, that distinguishing mark is simply this, childlike faith. Childlike faith is a thing that should distinguish us from others. In other words, the distinguishing mark of a Christian is the evidence of childlike faith in that person's life. The question for us becomes this, like, as Christians, are we people who practice childlike faith? Do our, do our children come running to Jesus? Do we come running to Jesus like children? Do we, do we follow Christ regardless of the cost? Is there evidence of God doing the impossible in your life? Are you practicing childlike faith? So Christians with childlike faith are marked by the way that they let children come to Jesus. Luke, Luke tells us that many people were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. What a privilege. What a privilege, right? What a privilege it is to bring children to Jesus so that, so that they might be healed by him. What a privilege it is to bring kids to Jesus. So they might be brought by the Spirit of God to a place of authentic and saving faith. Like, what, what, what person do you know? What person do you know who has really experienced an authentic encounter with Christ that does not also want to labor hard to bring others, especially children, into the kingdom of God? Doesn't it seem backwards? Doesn't it seem backwards to you for someone to claim to have been saved by Jesus from the penalty and the power of sin, but then not go to the greatest lengths to also bring others, especially their kids, to that same place of saving faith? This is the mistake that Jesus' disciples made. Luke tells us that when the disciples saw the people bringing their infants to Jesus, they rebuked them. In other words, there were people gathering together in some of the earliest Christ-centered church gatherings who were excited about bringing their kids to Jesus so that they too could encounter what it was like to be in His presence. Maybe, maybe the disciples were concerned about the disruption of having kids in the gathering. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were um, concerned about Jesus getting worn out by the demands of ministry to families, maybe. Not sure what the issue with the disciples was in this setting. But regardless of what motivated them to rebuke people for bringing their kids to Jesus, they did that. They began to rebuke them. And Jesus sees this as a moment, like a teachable moment. Luke tells us that Jesus called the children to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In other words, as Jesus calls these kids over, and as he places like one on his lap, he rebukes his disciples for rebuking the people. He basically says, let them come to me. Don't, don't hinder them from coming to me. The kingdom of God is open to kids too. I believe that this is primarily the responsibility of parents to do this with their children. It's primarily the responsibility of parents to bring their children to Jesus. To create a Christ-centered environment within their family. 
to regularly explain the scriptures to their children, to, to regularly preach the gospel to their kids, to regularly confront sin in the hearts of their children, to regularly pray with their children. Sadly, the problem for us is that far too many professing Christians today have gotten sinfully lazy with this privilege and responsibility. Far too many Christian parents claim to be too busy to shepherd their children. Far too many quote-unquote Christian parents think it's the responsibility of the church to shepherd their children. Far too many Christian parents think it's the job of the church to set up more attractive programs that will train their children in entertaining ways because they become bored with Jesus. The reality is that when kids become bored with Jesus, it's because parents have failed to do their job. It's because parents have become bored with Jesus and have ceased to create environments where their families are thriving in the gospel. There's too many, too many Christian parents that have tapped out in this area of bringing their kids to Jesus because they are afraid that they're too uneducated to share Christ with their kids. Too, too, too uneducated to round their kids up around the table and have a good, robust conversation about Christ. Too, too uneducated or too lazy, maybe, or too busy to round their kids up in the living room for even 10 minutes of, hey, what's happening in your heart? Like Jesus wants to speak to this issue in you. There's far too many Christian parents that have tapped out in this area. There's far too many Christian parents that actually hinder their kids from coming to Jesus because they're lazy. There are far too many Christian parents that have forgotten that their proclaimed faith in Christ and their encounter of walking with Jesus should make them the most ferocious evangelists in their children's lives. The kingdom of God isn't a club for adults. It's a diverse club for people of all different races, different backgrounds, different ages. Therefore, one of the distinguishing marks of someone who is a Christian is that their childlike faith brings other kids to Christ. Is your life marked by the way that you bring children to Jesus? Are you making excuses for being lazy or fearful? Have you, have you actually hindered your children's ability to come to Jesus? Well, some of you are sitting here like, I don't have kids. That's fine. You don't have kids. That doesn't let you off the hook. I know many of you here in this room that are single that don't have kids that have done great things for the kids in our church family to bring them to Jesus. And for that, I'm grateful. It's a mark of the Spirit at work among us. But there are some of us in this room who either A, don't have kids or do have kids. And we need to, we need to listen to this question carefully. We need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is that it is important that kids come into his presence. And the responsibility for that is ours as adults. Have you not taken the time that is needed to explain the scriptures or encourage servanthood or confront sin or proclaim the gospel to your children and other people's children? Have you, have you done that? Are you a person with childlike faith whose childlike faith is marked by the way that you bring kids to Christ? 
The second theme that we see in this text is that Christians with childlike faith are marked by the way that they come to Jesus like children. And what Jesus says is this. He says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What I don't think Jesus is doing here, lest you take this the wrong way. I don't think that what Jesus is doing here is advocating for being immature in our walk as Christians. We're not to stay in a place of immaturity as we come to him and begin to follow him. He's not teaching us to come to him and then stall out in our growth as Christians. The Christian life should be evidenced by the fruit of victory over the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. It's called growth and holiness. It's called sanctification. This is a work that the Spirit does deep within us as we follow Christ. Grows us up. We become mature believers. Far too many people are comfortable. Comfortable in their walk with Jesus. And are unwilling or stubbornly refusing to grow in maturity in their faith. They reject the counsel of their leaders and other Christians around them. They continue in their sinful patterns. They make excuses for their rejection of growing in holiness. This is not what Jesus is saying. It's not okay to stay there. What he's saying is that the the Christian life should be marked by maturity as we come to Christ like children. The Christian life should be marked or distinguished from other people in the world by our childlike faith that is receptive. Whoever does not receive, you think of a child in need, depending upon his parents, depending upon others around him to get what he needs. Think of a nursing baby needing what his mother can give him. This is the type of receiving in our childlike faith that we need to be open to. We need to receive rather than reject the work of the Spirit as He transforms us into the image of Christ. The question for you and I is, is is, is our lives marked by the way that we come to Jesus like children? Or do you come thinking you know it all? Do you come to Jesus ready to receive? Or do you come with your mask on thinking you have it all together? Do you come to Jesus with your hands open, ready to receive? Or do you come to Jesus with your fists clenched because you're pissed? How do you come to Jesus? Come to him with childlike faith? Are you receptive to the message of the gospel? Are you receptive to the work of of the Spirit of God as he works through the preaching and the teaching of God's word? Are you receptive um, to the work of God as he comes to you through the family of the church around you? Are, Are you like a child who rebels? Or are you like a child who receives and depends and seeks and asks for help? Are you a person with childlike faith who is marked by the way you come to Jesus like a child? The third thing that I notice in this passage is that Christians with childlike faith are marked by the way they follow Jesus. Christians with childlike faith are marked by the way they follow Jesus. In some areas of the world, it's popular to say that you're a Christian. In other areas of the world, it's unpopular to say that you are a Christian. And you may stand to lose a lot for claiming the name of Christ. In our area of the country, 
especially here in this area in Hastings, it's still fairly popular to claim Christ. It's still fairly popular to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But a lot of times, I think what happens in, in our more conservative areas is there are many who claim Christ with their lips while their lives are far from it. And the way that they follow Christ doesn't even look like Christ. I think this is why Luke tells us that this ruler approaches Jesus and asks him, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man appears to have some interest in entering the kingdom of God as a follower of King Jesus, right? So Jesus responds by saying, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He doesn't list all ten commandments. He just lists five of them. After listing those five, this man replies by saying, Hey, all these things I've kept since my childhood. I've kept all these laws since my youth. Now, I think if it were me and I was standing there listening to this guy talk, I might argue with him. Really? Really? Never bore false witness. Always honored your father and mother. Are you sure? Like, I might question his integrity a little bit when he says that. I'm not sure that any of us alive will get through this list of even five without biffing it at least once. So I might do that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Well, there are two things that I notice from the first part of this dialogue, though. First of all, I think Jesus, Jesus doesn't rebuke the man for calling him good teacher. As he's, as he's speaking to them. I think what Jesus does is he asks basically like a rhetorical question. Like if you call me a good teacher, then you're recognizing that I'm God, right? Because no one's good except God. So why do you call me good teacher? Do you, do you call me good teacher because you're trying to flatter me? Or do you call me good teacher because you're recognizing that what I'm about to say to you actually carries some spiritual authority and weight to it? I think that's what Jesus is asking. And if you recognize that Jesus is God, then, then you must recognize that he's the king of the kingdom, right? And if you want to be a part of the kingdom in which God is the king, in which Jesus is the king, and as you're asking him about how to be a part of the kingdom, then I think what, what Jesus is doing is like, hey, hey, if you're asking me this and you're actually acknowledging that, then you should probably pay really close attention to what I'm about to say to you. Secondly, I don't think Jesus is advocating a works-based salvation either. I don't think he's advocating for a works-based salvation whereby we got to check off these five things that we must do to be a part of the family. I think that it would be easy to take it out of context and try to make that argument. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is teaching because it doesn't line up with everything else that Jesus teaches throughout Scripture. Nor does it line up with the rest of Scripture's. I do think he's advocating a kind of childlike faith that is evidenced by works. I think he's, he's arguing for a childlike faith that is evidenced by works. Which, if you read the Pauline epistles, as well as the epistles that are written by John, or the letter that is written by James, then I think that you would arrive at the same conclusion. Our Christian life should be marked. It should be distinguished. Our Christian lives should be distinguishable from the unbeliever who lives next door to us. 
the question for us in this passage is, is, if somebody looks at our lives, would we be distinguishable from anybody else around us who doesn't even claim the name of Christ? That's the question of this text. Like, it, it's about how do you become part of the kingdom? Yeah, but are you really a part of the kingdom? And does your life give evidence to that? Our Christian life should be marked by childlike faith that is evidenced by personal holiness while following Jesus regardless of the cost. This man says that he's done everything that the law commands, right? He's done everything that the law commands, at least those five, since he was a child, so he must be in the family. But Jesus' response, again, like I said earlier, is not quite how I would have responded. I probably would have argued over the five. I would have argued over those and then called his integrity into question. Jesus, instead, takes a different step. Instead of looking back, Jesus looks forward. He says, okay, fine. If you, if you actually have followed all those five, then here's how you move forward. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. The Jesus message is consistent across the board. If you study the life of Christ, this message is consistent for anyone who desires to come and be a part of his kingdom. His message has always been simply this. And to follow me will cost you everything. To follow me will cost you everything because it cost me everything. So, leave everything behind. Come follow me on a journey. Come follow me on a journey of dying to yourself and continuously learning what else you might need to leave behind to continue following me whole concept of being a part of the kingdom of God and the, the family of God and the whole concept of following Christ is all about dying to ourselves continuously and leaving things behind continuously. The problem for us when it comes to following Jesus with childlike faith that leaves everything behind is that we want to follow Jesus while still holding on to some things. If I was in a black church right now, I'd be where everybody was saying, Amen, preach that. Amen, preach that. Okay, I got one. <laughs> what we want to do is we want to hold on to our sinful patterns while claiming to follow Jesus while using the excuse that we are all sinners. Right? We want to find out where the boundaries are. We want to live as close as we possibly can to those boundaries and those guardrails. We want to be entertained. We want to be entertained because we, we believe that Christians should have fun too at the expense of truly growing in holiness. We want, to, we want to sacrifice as little as possible for Christ because we have cheapened and minimized His sacrifice for us. You show me a Christian that is willing to leave behind the things that they held dear then what you're showing me is a Christian who understands and is growing in their understanding of the, of the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. You show me a Christian who stubbornly refuses to leave behind those sinful patterns and continues to make excuses about those sinful patterns in their lives, who refuses to grow in holiness, who refuses to let the Spirit of God do a work of progressive sanctification in their lives, 
You show me a person who claims Christ that exhibits that kind of fruit. And what I believe you're showing me is a person who may not be a Christian at all. Who in reality is claiming Christ with their lips. They've got their checkmark list of things that they've done well. And they're doing a good job of trying to hide all the ugliness. You show me that person. And I would say that person has cheapened their understanding of what happened at the cross of Christ. They've, they've failed to fully understand what happens when we become united to Christ in His death and His resurrection, symbolized by baptism. The reality is when we are united to Christ through His death and His resurrection, symbolized by our baptism, which is a symbol of our faith and our inclusion as members into the church family, when that happens, we are united to everything that happened to Christ. His death, His resurrection, His sinlessness is applied to us. We are justified because of Him. We are given His power, resurrection power, to overcome sin in our lives. And so that's why I say, you show me somebody who claims to be a Christian but refuses all those things, I have a hard time agreeing that that person is a Christian. Right? So the problem with us when it comes to following Jesus is that we wind up cheapening and minimizing Christ's sacrifice for us oftentimes. Ask yourself, is your life marked by the way that you follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Are you too busy making your list of, of the, five, the five laws that you kept since childhood? of all the things that you've done to gain a position in God's family, to realize that there's more that you can give. More that you can give because you are a part of His family. Motivated by the fact that Christ made you a part of the family because of His shed blood and broken body. Have you been motivated by that to overcome sin and continue to leave more behind? Or are you caught up with the same sin pattern that you're unwilling to cut off? Some secret sin that you've got hidden in the closet. That really, honestly, let me just say, it's not so secret anyways, right? Like we, like we all know each other. That's what family is all about. We don't just sweep things under the rug and ignore it and pretend. What areas of obedience is God calling you to walk out by the Spirit's power as you continue to grow through the study of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, and the voice of the church family around you? Are, are you a person with childlike faith whose childlike faith is marked by the way you follow Jesus regardless of what it may cost you? Are you willing to leave some things behind and follow Christ? The fourth thing that I notice in this passage is that Christians with childlike faith are, are also marked by the way that they stop trying to do the impossible. You ever try to do impossible things? And whenever I take on a task that is impossible for me to complete, what happens in my life at least, and maybe it's the same for you, is I wind up getting really depressed and sad and angry and typically want to choke somebody. When I'm, or choke something, or break something. I don't know if you're in the same place when you ever try to do something impossible, right? Some of you may not be good cooks and you try to cook something that you probably shouldn't have tried to cook and then you find out I should have done that. For me, it's auto mechanics sometimes. I try to take on a task when it comes to auto mechanics and I can't get it. And I get mad and I want to throw things like the wrench across the garage. Probably what I should have done is just called Andrew or Carlton and said, hey, can you come over here and help me do this thing? Because I can't do it. It's a sure sign 
It's a sure sign that you are trying to do the impossible in your life. You're trying to do this on your own. When your, when your meters on your emotions start getting crazy. It's a sure sign that you are trying to do the impossible. It's, it's often the same way in the Christian life, isn't it? I know for a fact that I've been trying to do the impossible on my own. Like I said, when I begin to feel depressed in my Christian walk, when I begin to feel really sad in my Christian walk, when I begin to get angry at myself in my Christian walk because I didn't get that right, or I get angry at somebody else because you didn't freaking get that right, right? It's a sure sign that when those emotions start tipping the scale, that I'm trying to do the impossible in my own strength. And when that happens, it becomes obvious that, that really what's happening for me is I have an opportunity to quit doing that. I have an opportunity to quit trying to do the impossible on my own, but then instead come to Jesus with childlike faith that trusts Him to do the impossible. Now, I'm not arguing for a passive lay down and take it kind of a faith that's like oh well it just sucks because like life's not working out so i'm just done like like let go and let god no that's like the stupidest uh, non-theological statement i've ever heard to be honest with you like it doesn't make theological sense let go and let god really how about how about hold on and let god like i find that in the scriptures Cling to Christ and let him do the work not not let go and let god yeah i get it the idea is let go of your issues and let God. But the reality is that we're supposed to cling to Christ and let Him do the work. I think this is in precisely what Jesus is teaching us when Luke tells us that when the rich young ruler hears what Jesus says, Jesus is like, hey, yo, you want to follow me? You've done all these things right? That's great. Let's, let's take your little list of good things done well, wad it up, toss it in the basketball hoop and let's just talk about what you can do now sell everything come follow me and he walks away sad Jesus Jesus says or Luke says he became very sad for he was extremely rich and Jesus then seeing that he had become sad said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and most of us sitting in this room we hear this and we go we don't have wealth we're poor Right? It just like, like my challenge to us is like don't go there don't check out thinking well maybe God's not talking to me because I don't really have wealth you live among the wealthiest nation in the world okay? um, there are people in around the world that are living on less than a dollar a day so if you make a few thousand dollars a month you make a thousand dollars a month you are wealthy Okay, so let's not check out of what Jesus is saying here in terms of how difficult it is for people of wealth to enter the kingdom. Because I think he's speaking to us. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Ever try fitting a camel through the eye of a needle? It's impossible. It's impossible. Try it sometime, and what I think will happen is you'll get pissed off, you'll get sad, and you'll get depressed. You might even go insane, all right? Some of you might want to take up drinking again if you try that, or some other form of self-medication. 
Don't try that. It's impossible to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. The, the visual imagery in this is important. But if entering the kingdom of God is as impossible as that, then where's our hope? Right? Well, where's our hope at if that's that impossible? It's essentially what I think the people heard Jesus say. And when they, when they heard him say these things, I think that's why they asked this. They, they say, well, then who can be saved then? Where's the hope at? How can anybody become good? How can anybody get in the kingdom? How can anybody be part of the family? Jesus answers. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, the work of salvation and sanctification is impossible with you and I. The work of salvation is impossible with you and I. There's nothing that you or I can do that will get us saved. But let me just tag on to that. There's nothing that you or I can really do that will increase our sanctification, except for obeying the Lord, trusting Him with childlike faith. It says impossible to make salvation and sanctification happen in our lives as it is to thread the eye of a needle with a camel. We are human. We're human and we're limited in our abilities. So we get depressed, we get sad, we get angry, we give up. We want to quit walking, we want to quit following Jesus. We want to quit engaging the church family. We want to quit giving. We want to quit sacrificing. I can tell you from personal experience how hard it's been to follow Christ for the 16 years that I've followed Him. Watching people around me sometimes shipwrecking their faith completely. People that I've invested in heavily. And then wonder, get up the next day and go, why am I doing this? To see people around me that um, don't invest, don't give, take more than they give. And then give me the middle finger as they walk away even. I mean, life is frustrating. Christian life is frustrating, right? It's hard. But Jesus never said, come follow me, it's going to get easy. Never said that. It just basically teaches us to continue coming to him with childlike faith. Trusting him to do the impossible. For all the negative stories that I share, I've seen him do the impossible as well. I watched him personally in my own family put Christy and I's marriage back together years ago. I've watched him in Brandon's life taking a guy who can be really prideful and egotistical and me-centered at times and has turned him into a servant of other people. I've seen a gentleness and a humility grown in Brandon over the years. Taking a guy like Eric who had a difficult marriage and then has restored relationships with children as well as giving you a pretty awesome relationship with a young lady as well. Watched him take a guy like Nate, who probably was more hung up on himself than he knew, to then see him serving other people around him with a smile on his face. I could probably say something about every one of us in this room because there's only like 20 of us in here, right? <laughs> Watched Andrew come in from being the guy that threw the bass guitar in the back of the truck to being the guy who now leads our two music teams giving of himself, trusting God in childlike faith. Keely, I've watched you. Just gotten to know you over the last few months. 
but watched you continuing to come back, continuing to struggle, but also continuing to trust God with childlike faith. It's hard to trust God, right? There's been good things that God has done in our midst as well. Question I want to leave us with is, is your life marked by the evidence of God doing the impossible in your life? Can you look at your life and see the baby steps of growth that God has made in you? Or are you still clinging to your own strength and your own resource and your own reserve to make it happen? Are you still trying to do the impossible on your own? Is your soul downcast? Are you depressed because you can't be good enough? Are you preoccupied with everything that you've done right? Are you, are you unwilling to face the fact that you have to give up your life to gain true life? Have you forgotten the good news of the gospel and the hope of the cross and the empty tomb of Christ? I want to remind you of the cross of Christ where our Savior hung. The cross of Christ where our Savior was beaten and bloodied. And I think sometimes when I say that for you, that maybe those words lose their edge, that they lose their impact. I want you to think of the picture of Christ as he walked that road, carrying that cross over his back. He didn't have to go there. He chose that road for you and I. He chose that road for you and I so that we could live in the glory and the hope of the gospel, which reminds us that he walked that road alone while everyone else abandoned him and left him, while many shipwrecked their faith, while many people chose not to stay awake with him, but instead fell asleep because they were tired. He gave more than anybody else ever could give in the face of insane odds. He gave that for you and for I. Walked that road by himself, carrying that cross, being beaten with sticks beyond a place where I think any of us in this room could have stayed alive. He was beaten with whips that had little shards of glass and nails and steel in it. I'm not going to go there for any of you. I don't think any of you would want to go there for me. We're bad people, right? You find it easier to do that for a really good person. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that for good people. Jesus did that for really bad people so that we would have the opportunity to come and follow him with childlike faith, willing to receive, ready to get what he has to give us, ready to lay it all down to follow him regardless of the cost. A distinguishing mark of someone who is a Christian or someone who has entered into the kingdom of God is childlike faith. Childlike faith that brings other kids to Jesus. Childlike faith that comes to Jesus like a child. Childlike faith that follows Jesus regardless of the cost. And childlike faith that depends upon God to do the impossible. The question for us is this. Are you a person who practices this kind of childlike faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in the scriptures tonight. For the opportunity and the privilege to preach this word in our midst. God, I do pray that as we close in worship, Lord, that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts. And you would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, we'll close in communion. 
think all of us that are here are believers, but if you're here and you're not a believer, don't take communion because it becomes a really ridiculous and absurd thing that you would do for no reason because it means nothing to you. But if you're here and you're a believer and you're clinging tight to Christ, you're clinging tight to the cross of Christ, and believing the message of the gospel, then come. And as you do, remember, this was Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was poured out on your behalf so that you could sit here and do this this evening. So as we close in worship, as we close in communion, I just encourage you to think upon Christ and his work. There'll be at least one of us up here to pray for you if you have any prayer needs. Um, love you guys. Thanks for letting me preach. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.